Rainwater was the superintendent of schools in the Madison School District in the state of Wisconsin for about 10 years and is well known for his work as a superintendent. What a lot of people may not know about Art is that he started out as a football coach. Art was from Arkansas and was a, a an athlete growing up and decided he wanted to become a coach and he coached in Texas and in Alabama, some real hotbeds of, of coaching and was an athletic director and, and really saw himself on that trajectory as his career. Ultimately, Art had a couple of key moments that led him in a different direction toward school leadership, toward administration. And he joined the Sport and the Growing Good podcast to tell us a bit about that story, about why he made um, the move to go into school leadership and some of the lessons he learned and the beliefs he has about being a school leader. He talks about his life work as a school leader and what he aimed to do and what he cared most about. Art also talked about the importance of athletics in, in a school district and the role of a coach and how important coaches are in forming relationships um, with, with young people and in um, making a positive impact. Art, after he retired from being a, a school superintendent, um, became a faculty member at the University of Wisconsin, the School of Education. So I had the real distinct privilege of uh, having an office next door to him for uh, about nine years, so many of my fondest memory as a memories as a as a professor in Madison have been my conversations with Art and learning from him and sharing stories about uh, leadership, but also about sports. And so this for me was uh, a wonderful opportunity to have another one of those conversations. And I want to uh, thank Art uh, for joining us, and even more thank him over the years for his mentorship and, and guidance as as a leader. football coach uh, and high school basketball coach both were were certainly important uh, factors in my life I, I was certainly not by any means a great athlete uh, I just loved athletics and and although I, I certainly uh, played in high school and I certainly was a star and but but they both my football and basketball coach, and I had the same one all the way through school. So uh, never changed in all that time. Both of them really uh, supported me in my athletic endeavors and also were people I could talk to uh, because I, I think as coaches in that relationship, they saw me differently than the person who saw me for an hour in class. Uh, and, Again, I was I grew up in a little bitty town, nine hundred people, and so we all knew each other anyway. But, but uh, they certainly uh, influenced me differently than the people I had in class. Did you, at that point, even in high school, see that that was something that you were interested in as you got older that you may want to coach? I did. Uh, I, I uh, myself and two of my friends started a a little league program in town. Uh, we had uh, three little football teams, played six men. Uh, kids went up to 
uh, I want to say sixth grade, and then we had a little league baseball team that the three of us did. Uh, so that was really my first start. Uh, and then uh, later on, uh, me, like a lot of other people, my my father was very intent on me being a doctor. And so uh, the original agreement with me going to college was that I would do pre-med. Uh, but the, I always wanted to be a coach. And so I finally reached a point in pre-med where I just said, look, I'm, I'm going to coach. And, and so changed to uh, physical education and biology. And, and then uh, in my own story, I uh, was not playing. I'd had some pretty severe knee injuries and, and wasn't really good enough to play in college. But I went to uh, the head coach at the small college I went to and said, I would like to come out and practice because I, I was a quarterback in high school and I didn't know anything about playing in the, in the line. So I asked if I could just come out and be on the scout team and, and practice. And they allowed me to do that. And I did that for a couple of years. Uh, so I really got that experience. My own belief about leadership is that you, you really need to experience the things you're asking people to do. So, um, uh, that got me started, and then I became a high school coach. In Arkansas, and then also in Texas and in Alabama, these places where you were, uh, football has a pretty deep meaning. Were you um, caught up in the spirit of, of football art, or was it more the, the act of being a coach and of having an impact upon others that kind of was attractive to you? I... Um, I wish in the beginning that I would I could say that I was very caught up in helping other people, but I will have to admit that <laughs> in the very early parts of my career, I was I was very caught up in being a coach. Uh, as I experienced that over time, and I saw the effect that I could have on on students, and I think uh, I attribute that more to. The students I was working with, the players I was working with, seeing me having an impact. I, I, and I think that's the point. If that makes sense. That's the point at which I begin to realize that there's a lot more to this than X's and O's. Uh, and uh, as a matter of fact, I still today hear from uh, some of those students that I that I coached years and years now. Uh, I started coaching in 1965. And so uh, that's 55 years ago. And and I still hear from some of those players that I had during those years. So I gradually over the years, particularly uh, as I made the move uh, from Arkansas to Texas, uh, I began to realize that there was a lot more to it than, than just uh, winning games. One of the themes I've heard a lot from a lot of the coaches is that um, – they started out with certain goals and aspirations as a young coach and their lives and careers took them in very different directions that maybe they hadn't anticipated and that they were glad that they remained open to different directions. And I've, I've talked with you about this in the past art, but also read some things about you where you mentioned you were at this school in Texas at, I believe Bishop Dunn. And there was a, a brother or uh, an administrator who 
kind of recognize leadership potential in you as an as like a school administrator more than just as a coach. Can you share a little bit about that story? Sure. Um, when I, I I went to Dallas as a as a head football coach and athletic director of a, a high school of about eleven hundred kids and and uh, very I was young still even then and and but. Uh, the principal, uh, who was a Catholic brother, Brother Adrian, uh, for some reason recognized in some leadership qualities in me, and he began training me to be a school administrator. And so I was there six years, and, and during that time, uh, he had me in charge of different areas of the school operation. So one year I was totally in charge of personnel. In one year, I was totally in charge of finance. And, of course, one of the most, uh, I guess, important things that I did, one year I was in charge of maintenance. And so uh, I'm one of the few former superintendents uh, and probably former uh, clinical professors uh, who actually have uh, stripped and buffed floors and done all those all that kind of work so i processed through each of the areas of school function and uh that really provided a, a grounding for me in school operations as opposed to just instruction or or just business uh, that that opportunity really is what i think uh prepared me to have the rest of my career. It's interesting to me to, that a, an administrator would come to the head football coach and uh, and athletic director and and ask you to take on these responsibilities or to recognize both to recognize that potential in you but then also to ask you for example to take the lead on maintenance for a year. Um, it's interesting both because he recognized your leadership potential but also because you were willing to do it. Um, do you remember your thought process, for example, as you're buffing a floor and you're the, <laughs> you're the head football coach? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, of course, in those days, you you, uh, you lined the football field and everything else. But uh, I just saw it as an opportunity. I, I certainly in the initial in the initial years uh, in Dallas, I didn't see myself as a school administrator. Uh the, but as I did these various jobs, and more than anything else, as I began to really think about and understand instruction, uh, that's really what led me more toward uh, becoming a school administrator than anything else. Uh, the, the year that I spent really working with the overall instructional program uh, and understanding that there were kids who didn't learn. Uh, I think that more than anything else drove drove my work. Uh, the, the ability to work with teachers and see what they were trying to do and, and more than anything else to then see the struggles that, that students had uh, because of their background and, and and other kinds of things to see the struggles that they had uh, really led me down the road toward wanting to become a school administrator. I, 
I had one uh, one particular player who eventually was a high school All American uh, who entered school, uh, and, and I was at a private high, Catholic high school, and basically had no entry score. I mean, his scores were very low, and and at the time uh, we had a scholarship program that paid for him to come to school, and I watched him develop through just hard work and the encouragement of teachers. I watched him develop uh, into what eventually became a college football player. He passed the, the CPA on the first try, which is, you know, is unusual, and eventually became a multimillionaire uh, and started from nothing uh, as a foster child. And when I saw the effect that really good teachers who care about students can have if that student's willing to work as hard as he worked uh, that's really kind of the basis of my administrative career was this particular student that's an amazing story did did the fact that he was a member of a team have any impact on the early part of his trajectory and in, in that your role as a as a coach at that point was that meaningful for him um, yeah, I, I think so. I, I uh, he was just a, he was a very unusual kid. I, I, I don't know that, that, uh, me coaching him, he, he, he's one of those kind of people that would have found a mentor, uh, from somebody, <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he was going to make it. I mean, I, uh, we were very much a running football team and, and so he would carry the ball 35 times a game. And, and then we would be, we a lot of times made some pretty long road trips and we'd be coming home in the bus uh, late at night and everybody's sound asleep and he's got his light on in the bus and he is uh, doing schoolwork. Uh, so I don't take any credit for, <laughs> for what he became. <laughs> he, he was going to become that no matter what. Uh, but, but, uh, but anyway, but, but seeing him and, and seeing other students, uh, who were, who were struggling, who, who had difficult circumstances at home, uh, seeing that kind of work and understanding that kind of work really is, is what led me to, to my career. I was reading, uh, an article about you recently, Art, and it was, it was written right when you were retiring as superintendent in Madison and it was one of the board members that you worked with at the time and he was commenting on one of the things he appreciated most about you was your you're a straight talker and that you use straightforward language and the way you communicated you didn't you didn't try to overwhelm people with you know flowery jargon or real over academic lingo um, and that that was really effective in working with different people um, I know a lot of that is just who you are and, and as a person that you have a great ability to communicate and I don't want to read too much into your background as a coach and, and, and <laughs> as, as if that was why you became such a good leader but was there any anything you learned as a coach that, that propelled you to be able to communicate with different audiences like, like the example I just shared? Well, uh, I think I think that, first of all, to some extent, that's just who I am. But, but secondly, I, I think uh, 
kids, particularly in the coach-player relationship, they see through you, you know? I mean, uh, you can only be honest with them if you're going to be successful in working with them. They they see through you. They, they see you uh, in some of the most, in, I think, some of the most intense circumstances there are. In very few fields of endeavor, uh, that do you have to perform in front of a crowd? Um, I mean, hell, I've been booed by thirty thousand people. I mean, you know, so so you get uh, coaching is is a field that uh, is your success is totally based on performance, and and it's based on performance of if you're a high school coach, particularly, it's based on the performance of fifteen to seventeen year old kids. And uh, and they generally don't take any bull, you know. Uh, they see who you are, and if you try to uh, to bullshit them, uh, then they're through with you. So I, I think uh, if you're going to be a coach, uh, that that the truth is is a, a critical component because. Leadership of a team is like leadership of anything else. Leadership, whether it's being a high school coach or the superintendent of a large school district, uh, the ability to lead is based solely on trust. And trust can only occur uh, if you're truthful. Uh, you know, you, you have to be consistent and you have to be honest. And, uh, you certainly can't be successful in any leadership position without those things. And, but I think it really comes home to you uh, when you're coaching kids. I, I'm going to skip over a whole lot of you accomplished so many things and did so much over your career, Art, but skipping to when you were superintendent of this school district in Madison, the second biggest district in the state, you know, over 25,000 kids that you're responsible for and thousands of adults working with and for you. Um, how did you think about the sports program? What what were you looking for out of an athletics program in your district at, at that level? Um, what, uh, what I think you want more than anything else is is you want kids to be treated fairly kids to have an opportunity to grow and be the best they can be. I mean, I, I think that regardless of the sport, uh, the, the whole thing that you want is for each one of those individual students to be able to be the best they can possibly be. That may not be a starter on the basketball team. That may be the 10th man. But the program should have that 10th man be as important and progress within their ability as far as they can go. That's the main thing I wanted. And, and uh, for the maximum number of kids possible to be able to participate. And, of course, you want the programs to be successful. Uh, but but you have to be prepared as a as a – as the leader of the district to be sure that they're provided with the opportunity to do that. 
And, and that's everything from facilities to the most important thing, which is the people who lead them. And, and of course, high school sports now is very different than when I coached. Pete. Uh, uh, when I coached, uh, when, I was in, when I was in Dallas, I had a 12-man staff, and they were all professional coaches. They all worked for the school full-time. And in, in today's high school sports, pretty much across the country, there are a lot more people who just come in for the sport. So it's important that, that the district provide the right kind of training and that the district demand that they perform professionally. And so what I wanted as a superintendent is kids to have the opportunity kids to have the opportunity to be successful and grow as far as they could grow. You've shared some great stories with me uh, from when you were superintendent about some of the families you worked with in the district and not, not just in athletics, but across, across the line about just some great stories of success. One, one that I remember was you, you've told me the story of the, of the flowers family and, and, I've gotten to know Marcus a little bit just from his coaching at Memorial High School. It's, it's a, a really interesting story how all of these brothers um, were so successful at, at basketball. And and you've told me a little bit about that story. Um, are there stories, first of all, is there is, is there anything interesting about that family story that is worth sharing from your experiences? And are there other stories like that that stick out in your mind um, over the years? Well, I mean, they, they certainly are, are. The flowers were a wonderful success story. And, and as successful as each of, of them, have, of the boys have been, and they have been, and they, they were not only successful athletes, but, but, but good people. And, I mean, I mean, their mother was a force of nature. I mean, she was an outstanding human being. I mean, she, uh, she did everything you could ask a parent to do. And and so there, you know, there certainly are are families like that, uh, not only throughout Madison, but but in, in every community. But but they're they're just an outstanding example of a of a great family, really led by a truly wonderful woman. Uh, and uh, certainly, the people at LaFollette had a lot more uh, dealings with them than I did. One of the things about being the superintendent of a of a large district is is when you tell those stories, you're probably telling the stories of somebody else's work because uh, you don't get the kind, the same kind of of, of personal uh, interaction that you do with others. Uh, but uh, but as a superintendent, you certainly do uh, get to enjoy those people and and realize that your job. Uh, my job as superintendent was to put staff and the principal and guidance counselors and all those other people at La Follette that had the skill and the commitment uh, to support Mrs. Flowers as she went about this work. I mean, that's that's your job as a superintendent. And to develop the trust with those people uh, that they believe that you're doing and supporting them uh, to be the best they can be. So, uh, and to me, that's what leadership is, uh, you know. But uh, when you have 50 schools uh, trying to put the best staff in, 
not just in the principal position, but in every single teacher position, in every custodian position, in every lunch lady position, in every one of those positions, trying to put in and support the very best staff you can have. It's the same way uh, when I was coaching. I mean, I, I want smart people working for me who are willing to stand up for what they believe in and uh, and not be afraid to, to challenge me. Because one of the things you don't want as a leader uh, is you don't want to surround yourself with sycophants and yes people. You want to surround yourself with people who are smart and aggressive and are willing to have really difficult and heartfelt discussions with you as the leader. How did you find those people, Art? In other words, I, I think a lot of us naturally gravitate toward people who see things the way we do and who we enjoy being around. Did you purposefully seek out as a leader of a district people who you knew would you know, give it to you as they, as they saw things, even if it were different from you? Well, the, what, what you ultimately want is, is people who, who believe in the same fundamental things. Okay. Like my, my life work has been really built around, uh, issues of social justice and equity, creating a socially just organization that will provide the best opportunity for an equitable experience for our kids. And so I would never hire someone who didn't share that fundamental belief. I mean, there are certain core values that I have uh, that those core values I expect you to share. Everything else is negotiable. Okay, so I want people who share those same core values but may have different approaches to reaching there and are willing to negotiate to get the best possible solution. That's really what I want. Uh, If I had someone who believed in segregation, for example, who believe that kids should be segregated and not have inclusive environments. Uh, I would never hire that person. I wouldn't hire them just because they disagree with me about that. Uh, Because like I said, there are certain core principles that every leader has to have. And those have to be non-negotiable for you as a leader. Everything else is negotiable. Uh, and when I define non-negotiable beliefs, I say this is a belief that I would resign my job if you forced me to do it. In other words, that's the core of who I am, and I won't do something else. I want people in my staff who share those same beliefs, but I want people to have a may have a different approach to reaching that and have a sound fundamental knowledge and understanding of why they believe that's a better approach, if that makes sense. And then we can negotiate as a staff the best way to get there. Did you see value, Art, over the years in maintaining stability in your kind of 
core group of advisors or were you always seeking out new voices as you led? You had you had a long run as superintendent. Um, how, how did you balance uh, stability in your in your inner circle and bringing in newness to what you were learning? Well, I, I mean, you know, obviously I'd like to have the same staff all the way through. It's easier. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also if you have good people. But uh, if you're doing the right kind of job, uh, if you're doing the right kind of job, then then you're helping people progress uh, toward their own ambitions. Uh, and so turnover happens. Uh, it happens because uh, generally, and, and my immediate staff was, was 12 people here in Madison. And that immediate staff uh, turned over during the 10 years that I was there. Uh, actually turned over twice, I think, pretty well. Um, what what you want, so some of those people are going to retire uh, just because you generally have uh, a range of ages. Uh, and some you're going to help realize their ambition, which may be to be a superintendent, to, to move to another kind of job somewhere else. I mean, if you have someone, for example, who wants to be director of instruction and you have a director of instruction who is staying with you to allow them to go to a director of instruction position somewhere else and prepare them to do that. So you, you don't seek turnover. But if you're doing your job in working with your staff and helping your staff grow, uh, which is one of the fundamental parts of your job, if you're doing that, then that turnover happens as a natural thing. Uh, and then I think you want to balance. The ideal thing is you want a balance of people who understand and are immersed in the culture of the district and people who come in from the outside who bring new ideas into the organization. So you want, you want both of those two things. Uh, and that's the ideal staff. If you can, if you can get that, that that's, that's the ideal staff. You had this administrator who so many years ago saw something in you and started preparing you for, to be ready for leadership. Um, what type of advice do you have to kind of keep your eye out for the next leaders and, and how did you do that how did you see potential in people and do what brother adrian did for you um uh, i think as, as a superintendent uh you are constantly looking at uh the development of your principles and assistant principles and 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 you're constantly evaluating them and, not necessarily, not, I mean, obviously, if they're not doing a good job, you don't want them. So that's another <laughs> whole ballgame. But, but you're constantly evaluating can this person take on a broader role? And, and you're listening, uh, in principal meetings and in the instances you have where you sit down with them on committees and do those kind of things, you're constantly listening to what they say. Uh, because fundamentally they're good leaders or you wouldn't have them in the school. Okay. But what you're looking for is who can take on a broader role, who can in fact assume responsibility for the teaching and learning of the whole district or who can assume responsibility for special ed and, and those kind of things. And, 
and I base that on that. And then you begin to try to put them in positions to develop that. Uh, you begin to invite them to be parts of committees. You begin to give them chairmanships of committees. Uh, Madison, I don't know how they are now, but in the past, real big on task forces. You know, <laughs> we need we need to look we need to look at the behavior plan. So we have a task force to do that. But those are great opportunities for people to develop leadership uh, of, of broader groups of people than within their normal principal context. Uh, so uh, to me, that's, uh, that's, that's what I did. I, I continually looked for people who I believe were capable of taking on a broader responsibility uh, and then trying to help them develop that broader responsibility. Art, my, my last question for you is a much more uh, specific thing. One thing I've always appreciated about you is your, it's related to your getting to the point with things in communication, but you're a highly efficient person. Um, you get things done. You don't waste any time. Um, what what were some of your tricks as a leader of, of efficiency, kind of daily habits, daily routines, um, strategies used to, to be efficient? Well, I, I, uh, I am by nature uh, a person who plans, okay? So uh, I planned every day and uh, fairly rigid scheduler, uh, although certainly as a superintendent, uh, you have to adapt to the, what happens during the day because things do happen that that are outside the plan. But but I've always been a fairly rigid scheduler, and I, I do the same. I do the same kind of things that that other people do. You know, I, I try never to touch a paper more than once, and and all those kind of tricks that they teach you in in time management school. But but. Uh, I am I am by nature someone who plans, and and I plan short term and long term, and uh, that allows me to be efficient. And I also learned a long time ago to never put anything off. So uh, I'm generally going to complete my work every day, uh, and uh, use the tools that are available. You know, project planners and all those kind of things. I got very much a technology. Uh, kind of geeky person so I utilize all those tools and uh, but fundamentally I plan and I try to complete my work every day whatever that takes to do that I try to do that so that when I go home at night I'm done uh, and uh, I'd say those are the, the two main things uh, that uh, and I, I generally have the ability to kind of condense things down to their most important things so uh, I think those things have allowed me to be uh, efficient in my career. Can I ask you one follow-up on that, which is how did you spend like the very first part of your workday as superintendent? Did you try to devote the early morning hours to anything in particular? Well, I, I got to work real early. Um, and uh, I generally was at my desk by six. And I made sure that I had... I reviewed what I was going to do that day, and, and I was very fortunate to have a truly extraordinary uh, administrative assistant, and and she would have 
everything I needed for that day organized for me. And, uh, and so the first part of the day I really spent, and to be honest, I read the paper, uh, had a cup of coffee, uh, reviewed what I was going to do that day. And, uh, for several years, uh, I had a board member who, who dropped by a lot of mornings and had coffee with me. Uh, but that really, that time from six until seven thirty, which is usually when my first appointment was, that time from six to seven thirty was really my private time at work. Uh, that's thinking time. That's uh, because usually uh, from seven thirty until probably six at night, my day was scheduled. Uh, and so, because uh, one of the things I always believe, Pete, is is, is I made time for my staff. So I had an individual meeting with each member of my staff uh, every week and for an hour. And that was their time. And so uh, that pretty much scheduled my dad along with the other meetings I had and everything. So that hour and a half in the morning was really mine. And just to get myself together and you know, it's kind of like that time when you were playing. It's kind of like that time when you're sitting in the locker room right before you go out. Uh, that's was my time for that. Yeah. Well, it it kind of comes full circle to the the think of the world of a lot of coaches is like you're saying, especially if you're like a, you know, you're a high school basketball coach and you start your day you teach seven periods of the day you're going full throttle then you you hop immediately to coaching and before you know it you're entire you've got 12 hours of just you can hardly take a break to go to the bathroom and if you don't carve out that time for thinking or for reflection then you're just not going to find it um well i mean you, you've got to i mean one of the one of the most important things is is reflecting on what you just did i mean uh I mean, for me, one of the biggest things we did as a staff was debrief what's just happened. But, but for me personally, to reflect on uh, that day, you know, the day before, what what happened? Did I handle it well? Why didn't I? How did I handle it? How would I do it better? Uh, and then that then the yesterday's done, okay? Because you always got to be going forward. But but you do have to take the time to to reflect on on your own performance because uh, to me my own my own self-reflection was always a heck of a lot more important to me than the evaluation that some supervisor or somebody else gave me uh, the uh, it was you know how can I get better and, and and also the idea of carving out an hour for every staff member again a lot of coaches have this circle of people around them that they don't maybe um, schedule individual time with you could have a staff of five coaches or 12 coaches and, and maybe not all head football coaches can carve out an hour for every staff member but there is this importance of of one-on-one -on -one time with different people it sounds like you really valued yeah because I, I always wanted to know what was going on and so for me that hour was their time okay they, they have to come with their agenda of what they want to discuss. Because if I have something that I want to discuss with them, I'm going to their office and sit down in their office and discuss that. I'm not going to 
make it a point to bring them onto my turf uh, because I, to me it it's a team operation and so you have to be real conscious of the power relationships I think uh, because while you do have the power uh, you have to be very careful how you exercise that and you have to consciously make a point to reduce that power relationship so that it is in fact uh, a team effort.